today's episode of Her Wild Outdoors, Mark Donahue of Grizzly Ears joins me and we talk a little bit about how he came up with Grizzly Ears and why. Uh, we also talk about how you grow organically and the people that you choose to surround yourself with uh, along the way. So I hope you enjoy. Thanks, everybody, for listening in to another Her Wild Outdoors podcast. Mark Donahue has joined me uh, this morning, and he is the manufacturer of Grizzly Ears, which I think all of you know that I use and love. So, Mark, thank you for your time this morning. Oh, thanks, Amy. I'm looking forward to this. So we'll have some fun talk. Yes, we will. And before, I, you and I have talked before, and we... We could have kept chatting. It was just fun. And I enjoy that part. But I also want people to kind of know your background and where you come from. So can you give us just a little bit of who you are and how you've gotten started in the outdoors and in hunting? Um, you've got some amazing stories, but I'd like to hear how you got started. Well, actually, I've been in the manufacturing side for about 30 years. So I travel over to Asia. Mm -hmm. uh, and I do understand some Mandarin, so that helps, but I do have an engineer team that's out there all the time. So we're working on products. Uh, but how I came about this product was actually, I was doing a duck hunt and I was with my grandson and about four other, five other hunters. And of course I have to talk overseas all the time and I had to keep doing the calls for the ducks. And then of course I lift my earmuffs up and then it was just a pain. And then one time a phone call came in from Asia. I said, I got to take this real quick. So I lift the earmuff up, started talking. And then the ducks came in, I said, take them. Then everybody started firing away. And at that point, uh, my ears were ringing like crazy. And I said, man, I am done with this. And mm -hmm. it was at that moment, it was, aha, I'm going to actually uh, design a product that'll be meant for the outdoor enthusiast. Um, and I'm going to make it good. So the music sounds good, but we have the shot implication built into it and 100% yeah. waterproof. Yeah. I, uh, I can attest to that being out on a goose hunt using them and everybody in the blind was very jealous of the fact that a, when there was downtime, when we had breaks, when we were eating lunch, those kind of things that we could, I could relax. I could listen to music. I could make a phone call. I could do whatever. But then at the same time as the hunt, everybody has their earplugs in or their, their headphones, like something on and they couldn't hear the caller. And that made a huge difference being able to amplify the sounds around me and at the same time not be afraid of the gunfire hurting my ears. It was awesome. Well, let me ask you this. Do you actually, uh, do you call too? I do not call, but I stood, I have stood close enough to the caller that that in itself can hurt your ears. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was well, quite loud. Well, I think most of the people that would be listening is if you're a waterfowl hunter and if you are calling, uh, the most important thing is to be able to hear your tones. Mm -hmm. And so if you can't hear those, you can't actually do, you know, the right call that you're looking for as a duck hunter or a goose hunter or whatever. So I made it even on the grizzly ears, you can actually hear your tones so you can still call. But if you lay on it real loud, it will suppress the sound of 26, mm -hmm. but it still works. Yep. But at the same time, I can still hear... You know, if I'm not the caller, if I'm not the person that's looking out, I can still hear the whispers on the other end. Of yeah, that's awesome. I mean, you know, and that's what we designed it for. We did, we, you know, people say this amplification mode, we actually toned ours down because when we had the amplification set too high, that's all people could hear was the white noise and then the wind would pick up. The wind was too strong. So mm. we, we toned it down but we think this is the right level. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, well, when did you start hunting? Oh, well, I was just a little boy. Uh -huh. uh, I think around six or seven. Um, my dad gave me my first 22. Um, and we go out, of course, like most people, learn how to shoot cans and bottles. And, mm -hmm. and then from there, you, you start shooting little birds and squirrels and rabbits. And it just, it just went from that level. But... 
my first gun was a single shot 22 long barrel. So my dad said, if you could shoot well with this gun, because you're only getting one shot before you have to reload again. Yes, sir. Um, then so that's where I started them, about that age. I think that's so my kids have been about that age when they've started and they started with a 22 and they've bumped up a little since then. But I still love to sit and shoot a 22 with them uh, because it's just fun. It's fun. Well, I know I know one thing we used to, we used to go out to the I grew up uh, originally in Southern California, but I've uh, been in the South 28 years now. But we used to go to the high desert. And uh, we would shoot rabbits. Of course, we'd run them through the nights, the jackrabbits, but then also do long distance shooting. Mm -hmm. Um, So when they pop up, you would say, okay, we've got, you know, two, three, 400 yards, whatever it is. Because back in those days, my days, we really didn't have the optics you have today. So we had open sights. And so we learned how to shoot very well with an open sight. I think that that's, I think everybody needs to learn how to do that. We've got a couple guns that, are just open sites and it it's a different your brain works differently with that you have to you really have to work around uh it's just a different way of shooting and i think that everybody needs to i think it is beneficial for everybody to learn both sides of it yeah it's like uh I, my older brother had the uh, 22 ruger that you know, he had a, you know, a magazine would go in there and I don't know how I shot. I mean, 20 probably in that thing. And he would just rapid fire that thing. <laughs> and, you know, I'm just sitting there with one shot doing my breathing right and squeeze the trigger slow. So it was a different level. I, I think my shooting at that point was, uh, it was pretty good because I, I couldn't rapid fire. Yeah. It's, uh, we have on a couple of rifles that, we've taught our son on so far, it has the capability of having more bullets in there, but we give him one at a time. And it's just for that, well, there's two reasons. There's a safety reason, but there's also a a purposeful reason of it's one shot, take your time. watch where you're going. Don't just pull the trigger because you want to shoot. Like really take the time to learn how to focus and shoot. And so I I agree with that 100%. I love that aspect of it, the one shot. Well, and you don't think about it. the application works great because we're actually if we're elk hunting with rifle or deer or whatever for New Zealand doing chamois uh, and, and tar, um, you're the same. Even though you may have three mm-hmm. in the gun, you're still that one concept. It's just one shot, one good placement, and you're just taking your time usually. Um, if someone's rushing it, then that's that's the problem we get sometimes with wounded animals. We can't find them because not taking their time to set up and get it right. But right. Uh, so I think going from the little part when I was younger to now shooting, uh, it's pretty much the same. It's just different caliber. Right, right. It, it but it does. It slows you down. It, it creates patience with yourself and the gun and your target. So it it makes everything a little bit more. Um, focused. It makes a child who's learning it apply that later when he's older. And I think that that's a good foundation to lie. I agree. Yes. Well, I love because when we talked before, we, I heard some great stories and I don't know, there's some probably that we can't repeat on here, but, um, but I love the fact that, I mean, you've been here, we're both from the South. Uh, well, not from the South, but we've both been in the South for a, quite a long time. And yet you have the experience of the West Coast as well. And not too many people have both experiences um, to lean on constantly. You either have an East Coast hunter or a West Coast hunter. You have an East Coast hunter that gets out to the West Coast maybe once or twice or maybe once every couple of years. But you have the experience of both. And uh, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about that, about how you notice those differences and and how you apply them, what you have to change, um, whether you're prepping for it physically or prepping for it with equipment. 
Well, yeah, exactly. So if I am, uh, I'll let you lead into the questions, but the West is completely different versus, you know, hunting mm-hmm. on the side of the Mississippi. I mean, it's, it's a big difference. Yes. Uh, anywhere from the whitetail uh, to going all the way across to the mule deer that we're talking about and elk and everything else. And um, it's, it's a whole different world and how you train and how you prep. And of course, what kind of clothing you wear, you know, uh, you know, there's, there's so many variations, but it it is completely different world, but that's what I love about it. It's true. It preps you, it gets you excited about all of the different things. There's, you know, hunting, hunting whitetail, even across the East coast, whether you're in Florida, where they are way different than Tennessee, all the way up to Pennsylvania, each species, even within its own species, they're, they're different and the terrain is different and your equipment's different. What you wear is different. Boots are different. Everything is different. And I think that that's what keeps it exciting. Well, whitetail, I always get in trouble with us people on the West Coast. I always say the whitetail are smarter than the mule deer. <laughs> I get I get in a big argument every time with that. Because people on the West go, no, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, I, I, I do, do know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I love that you said it because I can't say that having not hunted mule deer before, but daggum, our whitetail are smart. Well, and you know what? I think a lot of times when you're hunting whitetail, uh, just because the terrain you're in is, it's really thick, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You're dealing with a lot of hardwood, but the whitetail, I can, I can just tell you from hunting both sides and I do love hunting both sides. I don't want to get in trouble there. I do love both sides. Uh, the whitetail, I, they have a, they, their alert senses are more. Mm-hmm. What I mean by this, they use their nose. It seems to be more, uh, their warning of other deer. You know, of course they'll blow you out in a second and oh, done. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it just seems like they're more high alert and their senses are better versus on the muley side, but the muley side, man, I'm telling you, I mean, they can, even in the wide open, uh, they, they can get down and, and you can't even see them and they're not, they're not moving, not doing anything. They're, they're almost better. They keep themselves camouflaged and don't expose themselves as easy as a whitetail would. So that's the difference between the two, but it seems like I can stalk and sneak up on a mule deer a lot easier than I can with a whitetail. And those whitetail, I, we talked about this and it, I, I will bring it up every single time. I have been blown at, I don't know how many times in six years. And it has been a learning experience, of course, over those years of hunting. But my kids learned that lesson this fall in sitting in a blind, which I'm not much of a blind hunter, but it helps with kids especially. And we were sitting there. They had no idea. We didn't see anything. There wasn't anything nearby nothing. And all of a sudden we heard a doe blow and the kids looked around and said, what was that? And I said, you just got found out. And they were being pretty quiet. It wasn't, my kids weren't loud. They weren't, um, being outlandish. They weren't, you know, moving around a whole lot, but it was enough that even a deer that we could not see until she blew and I saw a tail in the distance and they learned a valuable lesson that day. <laughs> you can't well, you move. Know, no, you can't move. And then the other thing really is all hunters will tell you this, but I have been in situations to where I saw it at best. Wind is everything. Yes. I mean, it's everything. I mean, when you set up and if that wind shifts in any way, it doesn't make a difference if you're on the West or back over here on the East side, uh, you're in trouble because I actually was turkey hunting one time and I had deet all over me. I mean, you could, you could smell me a mile away. Right. Right. But the wind was so strong one time and I was up against this big oak tree and I had three deer walk within three feet in front of me. And I thought that they're actually just going to step on me. Mm-hmm. And I finally moved. And of course, you know, of course they bought, had a heart attack at that point, but, <laughs> Uh, but it was the whole point was I'm sitting there going, look at that. The wind is blowing so hard away from them um, coming from their back and hitting me that they had no clue that I was even there. 
And that just told me, I said, wind is everything. It really is. Yeah. You can use it to your advantage or it can kick you in the butt. It's, it's (laughs) one or the other. There's not really a middle ground. Well, I think all of us have had our butt kicked more than not. (laughs) That's true. It's very true. But you're not the first one that I've heard that from. And it's, it is something that, that when you're hunting, wherever you're hunting, that wind is the first thing that you have to think about. Um, when, when you're planning before you even get out there, it it's logistically looking around, planning where you're going to be, how you're going to approach, all of those things, where you're going to sit with if you're tree stand hunting or blind hunting. It's That's one of the first things that I check before I even get in the car to go somewhere. Well, and, and that could change too when we're in there, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's no different than Doc County. We're all we're all looking at our wind, and going, okay, where's the wind coming from? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's not going to be a good day. <laughs> yeah, and it can, and that's one thing that also it crosses over into species that you hunt. It's it's not something that sticks with only one you know, with deer or with turkey or with whatever, it is something that you have to look at and check and constantly check in all of your hunts. Um, Fishing might be a little different, but. Yeah, but I'll tell you what, I'm not a huge fisherman, but Mm -hmm. I have fished a lot. Uh, Of course, I fished a lot in the West, doing anywhere from the ocean from uh, tuna, uh, yellowtail running in the summer. Um, and then coming back, I've actually fished out there in Michigan and Minnesota with my grandpa. And, and it, I, I've seen some of the funniest things fishing, but they'll tell you too, you can't be too loud in a boat, but I'm thinking, uh, I don't know. It depends how deep your line is. <laughs> yeah. We've told our kids, Hey, chill out just a little bit, especially if you're on the bank, because, You've got the vibrations of your feet and everything like that. But in a boat, um, I don't know, in everything, you just have to be aware. You have to be aware of the situation. And if you've got fish around you, that's you just it's more along the lines of, I think, focus on what you're doing, because even in a boat, especially in a boat, wherever you are, safety should be number one. Um, And so being aware is the first the first way that you can. keep everything, everybody safe and, and, uh, and what you're hunting, um, at the top priority. So we are, I think the last time I went deep sea fishing, the only thing I caught was Bonita. And so I just caught everybody's, um, everybody's bait. (laughs) That was my, I was not very successful the last time we went out. Um, Everybody else caught great fish. I was just the one that evidently was the bait catcher. It was. Well, I was going to say, at least you caught the bonita and they chopped it up and put it on the bait. There it's you true. Go. It was useful. Um, and I caught something. And those bonita can fight. It's not a, it's not an easy pull in, but, uh, but it was definitely the brunt of the jokes. Thanks, Amy, for the bait. We really appreciate oh, yeah. your hard work. They <laughs> <laughs> had to have somebody to help out. Exactly. Oh, my goodness. Tell me, because I've had, and we've talked a little bit on here so far, just, you know, deer blowing, wind, that kind of thing. What are some of the lessons that you learned growing up hunting that you can still apply to this day? Because some of those lessons are easy to learn, right? And then some of those lessons, they're pretty tough to learn, but they stick with you for a long time. Well, you know, I, I love to archery hunt. And then of course people would say, if you're archery hunting, I use your grizzly ears. I go, I use my grizzly ears for everything. Yeah. One, uh, now I'll share the story, which is actually, you know, I was up in uh, Alberta last year and we were doing stalking. If anyone has ever stalked uh, deer in Alberta, you're using the, the fields. And of course it's pretty flat, right? Right. And they use these canola fields. And so that canola is about three and a half feet tall and it's really loud. I mean, you can actually hear them when the wind's blowing and stuff. And so, uh, the guide said to me, he says, Hey, there's, there's three of them. There's one that's really nice. He's right around 190 plus. And I said, okay. So he says, um, I want you to take the third one to the right. 
if he goes to stand up because you could just barely see their tips. Mm-hmm. And of course, we're belly crawling, but the nice part is we're communicating through the grizzly ears. That's why I tell people I like to use it because I like to hear how loud I'm moving yeah. and try to tone it down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we got within 60 yards, and of course, it, it turned out great. Actually, this will be a little good story for the grizzly ears. Uh, actually, the deer stands up, and to me, that wasn't number three. That was, you know, that was the wrong deer, right? And he 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 goes, it's forty five seconds and I'm a full, full draw, and he's he's talking to me through our grizzly ears, and he says, "Are you, are you going to shoot? <laughs> I, my deer is not up yet." And I'm, we're actually having this conversation, but whispering, and he goes, "That's the deer." I go, "No, it's not. That's number two. So. What, what what happened was I could see three deer, but there was four. Oh. So I was, seeing, I was seeing one, two, three, but that was really, he never saw the fourth one. So his one, two, three was different than mine. So he goes, no, that's it. So uh, long story short, we actually, you know, I, I put a good shot on it. And then once I put the good shot, they all jumped up and he looks at me, he goes, there's four deer. <laughs> <laughs> so, to get back to what you're saying, the West stalking and going in is so important because you go from cover to cover mm-hmm. uh, and then you've know, been on stocks where you're doing hours of glassing and then you see something maybe a mile half away and then you put on a stock. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the white tail you're not doing that. You're actually finding an area that you can get into a tree stand or blind or shooting house. Um, There's just no way to stalk there because it's it's just so thick unless you're out in, you know, um, the big fields of Kansas and Dakotas and stuff like that. Um, I've done that, but that's been long distance rifle shooting at that point. But mule deer uh, out West, it's a blast because you really are challenging yourself because it's wide open mm-hmm. right and then the other thing is you may think that's 100 yards and then you you range find and you realize that's 150 yards so i mean it's so different perspective because you don't have anything to really gauge um distance wise so you have to get used to that but um the, the west you know you take all of those things because you're really trying to be real sneaky on your stocks you take that same approach to the east side where i got to make sure that the wind and anything I step on is very quiet. Like we had talked that whitetail man, boom, just pop right up. Um, and so those are, everybody knows that in that hunting world, that is it, you know, wind, sound, um, cover, mm-hmm. all those things are a big deal, but the West it's, you know, it's, it's a wide open area. Yeah. It's, um, here I had an experience two years ago walking in and I, I covered the bottom of my boots with, um, with scent control. So, um, depending on the time of the season and deer hunting, it, it, that tells me what I'm going to put on the bottom of my feet. And I had never thought about it before and had walked in because where I had hunted before they were everywhere. And, I didn't have to worry much about scent control because human scent was everywhere where I was. So then being in a different place, I had started using a scent control walking in and I thought, well, maybe this is just a whole bunch of bull crap. Like maybe this isn't that big of a deal. Well, I used it that morning and I walked in and walked out and then reapplied and walked back in in the afternoon and not 10 minutes went by from when I got seated to a buck walking right through the same path that I had walked. And he was not at all startled or, and people didn't walk that path. It, it, I could have completely blown it. Uh, but because I, I was very aware of my scent and of what I was leaving behind, um, on what I walked on, on, on what I touched and hopefully the least amount of change to that environment, it made a huge difference. He walked on the same path that I walked on for probably a hundred yards and 
never spooked, never, you couldn't, he wasn't sniffing around thinking that there was anything weird. And so, like you said, I have learned this lesson by seeing a deer walk in and being freaked out because of human scent. And so it made me more aware of what I needed to be careful of. It makes a difference. Yeah. The other thing is, um, like I teach younger hunters and grant my grandsons and stuff is uh, as we're moving in quietly into the area that we're going into just, uh, mainly the East cause that's where they're from the South area. And I always tell them, not only are we going to go in quiet, of course, I want you to look distance, mm-hmm. stop looking at your feet. Of course, yeah, I don't want you to step on that branch. I don't want you to do that. But, I mean, you, you just get used to being real soft. Like, if you ever watch the deer, when they step down, they're doing the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Every little sound, boy, they got that head up. But I tell them all the time, look in the distance because you're going to pick up things when, you, when, when you're actually hunting. And so my grandsons have learned really quick because they used to say all the time, Papa, how do you spot these things so fast? I said, because you guys are focused just on one thing instead mm-hmm. of just kind of like you're glassing with binoculars. Of course, we move them slow, but you're focused on the distance as you're working and you will pick up things mm-hmm. instead of just blowing right by, you know, shaking your head and everything else. So, so if we're out West, we're doing the same thing. The difference is we're glassing for hours, right? But you're, you're looking beyond what normal people would see to pick up something abnormal. Right. And so A lot that of- works. I think a lot of times here, we saw, we were turkey hunting two weeks ago and we I had taken my son, it was his first time and we were sitting in a blind and we were in the woods. Um, I mean, it was thick, thick woods and we were on a deer path. So I had set up right off of a deer path because those turkeys will follow the same path coming in to the water. And so we were sitting there and had found some tracks and had found a place. And I said, wait, hold on. And it wasn't, I wasn't looking up close and it's so thick. You can't see a whole lot, but you see in between the tree trunks, right? You see the different, mm-hmm. uh, the pattern change all of a sudden. And there's a pregnant doe way off in the distance. Um, I saw the movement without binos, picked up the binos and actually focused in on what we were looking at. And he said, how did you how'd you see that? Because it was so far off and in such a thick, I said, you're not, I'm not looking for, uh, I'm not looking for antlers when I'm spotting scent for something. I'm not looking for a nose. I'm not looking for, I mean, the tail helps a lot with white tail, but I'm looking for a pattern change. I'm looking for what wasn't there beforehand. So I like to check my surroundings when I first get there And then you can make sure, then you can see throughout the time as you're looking in the distance, the pattern change. And that's how he goes, oh, that makes sense. (laughs) Thank you, Betty. It's it's true. I mean, we're all trying to find that that little flicker or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. Uh, I learned something years ago when I was in New Zealand and we were going after chamois and that was, that was incredible hunt because it was so hard, but the chamois, their their biggest thing is their eyesight. It's kind of like, you know, they describe it as like a Swarovski scope type thing. They can see really well. Mm-hmm. And, and we had been going up and down the mountains on cliffs and everything else. And I'm doing what he's doing. I'm trying to look from the distance. But all of a sudden he says, get down. And I'm laying there still. And he goes, there's a chamois. I'm looking and going, where in the heck does he see a chamois? <laughs> He saw a nose coming around a cliff 400 yards away across the canyon. And I thought at that point, I go, I thought I was a good spotter. Wow. I had no clue <laughs> at that point. So, wow. so when, I go with, when I get invited with all these people for grizzly ears to go out with all these outfitters and, and it's, it's interesting because we'll swap stories, but I've told every hunter that comes in under a guide, and they'll ask me, and I'm not the guide. They'll say, Mark, what is the rule of thumb that you would think if you're working with this outfitter? And I say it every time because I know these guys. I'm going, rule number one, listen to your guide. Rule number two, listen to your guide. And rule number three, always go back to rule one. And it's funny. They just kind of look at it and go, that's your advice? I'm thinking, 
these guys know the terrain. They know everything. Mm-hmm. Just like that guy in New Zealand could spot that little nose. So if we teach anybody anything, if you're used to hunting, whatever it is, and you've done it a lot, listen to that person. Right. right. Oh, I... I would go in, I would rather go into a situation where I knew nothing with no bad habits, with no, I would rather go in and learn from somebody who specializes in that species. And I would just sit there and want to absorb it, right? I would just want to listen and pay attention and follow the rules because the more I do that, the more I learn. And uh, people who come in and think they're all that, it, it, takes away from your learning experience from somebody who is specialized in that, who knows so much about it, you're missing an opportunity 100%. Whether you get, whether you harvest an animal or not, you're missing that opportunity and it can jeopardize your hunt, uh, but it can also jeopardize the chance for you to learn something you didn't know. It's not worth that, that chance. Well, in, in a, we talk about that all the time with all my friends I, I go out with and the guys. And I said, isn't it interesting the one that comes in that pays for the hunt and tells you all these bop, 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 bop. And you go, this is going to be a long hunt. Because <laughs> yes. they think they know it all. And they're never going to listen to the person. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, it works out that way. And, uh, you know, I'll put a little plug in for my friend. But if you guys uh, ever do a West hunt, a three trophy hunts is probably the best around. And, uh, one of the guys that I go out with is Jed Larson. Everybody knows Jed. Jed, Jed is calling in 400 bulls every year in Arizona up in the mountains. Um, he's an incredible archery shooter. He was a professional archery shooter, but I go with him a lot. And then grizzly ears will sponsor that hunter and present something to him. And of course it's always a great opportunity because I'm learning, I'm learning more than anyone else because mm-hmm. I'm the guy in the background and just to watch and see how well they work within their terrain is, it's just spectacular. So yeah. I, I get lucky on that type of stuff. And then of course I get come back out to the East and I get to deal with some really great people. Mm-hmm. And I was looking forward to actually hunting with you, but that just didn't work out on the Turkey hunt, but uh, I know it. <laughs> I too, so. this season was just a, this Turkey season was it was a crazy season just with everything demographically changing with politics and with health wise and all of that. But it, um, I know in our state, it has, I think they said there were over 10,000 more turkeys taken this turkey season than last season. Really? Yes. Um, and that's, I'm sure that people had a little bit more time. Uh, They had a little bit more ability because they weren't traveling as much maybe for work. And uh, they had more of a chance to get out and prep before the season even. Uh, But I, of course, this being fairly new to turkey hunting, it uh, kicked my butt. And I'm grateful for it because I learned a lot from it. Um, But it's kind of like you said, being the observer in it, I would love to do that because you get to see the good and the bad, right? You get to learn what to do, but you also get to learn what never to do. (laughs) And that's, I would love those lessons Um, just to be able to go on hunts, whether you're able to hunt or not, whether you're just there as a support um, uh, in the background, or if you're actually hunting or if you're guiding or mentoring, whatever you're doing, there's always that ability to take from that hunt, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Well, I tell you what, I've had a lot of bad and ugly in my life. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have to take that and go, I hope that I never see myself do that. Um, <laughs> I hope i I Pray and hope. I can never sit back and say I would never do that because I I try my hardest to never say that um, because mistakes are made. But I would try. There are a lot of things that I've looked at and said, I really hope that I never catch myself doing that Um, just from an ethical standpoint, but also as a good person and a, a good citizen and a good hunter in our community. 
Well, and what me actually having such a good time with my grandkids hunting now is, you know, taking all those experiences. But the most important experience I tell them all the time is, is enjoy what we're doing and enjoy watching the amazing things that goes on in the wildlife. Yes. I said, harvesting an animal is what we're going out to try to do. But if we don't, and then you're upset that you didn't, then you're missing out what the most important thing is. Because I have many times I've been in some areas and I just stare yeah, and just amazed at the beautiful beauty that's around you. It doesn't make a difference where you are. And at that moment you say, this is what it's all about. And so my grandkids, you know, sometimes when they don't get to harvest an animal, first thing I said is, did you have a great time? Mm-hmm. I had a blast. Yeah. I go, well, then that's what it's all about. Those days that there are no harvest, I walk away and I try to make them, whether it's a mental note or a written note of the things that did happen. I saw multiple different snakes today. That was really cool. I, I was able to see a turtle pass through a field that it shouldn't have even been there. That it, it, Those things don't normally happen, but that happened in front of my eyes today. It saw a crane come through, saw an egret fly over or, you know, whatever is going on, those, you shouldn't, you shouldn't bypass those things just because like you said, you didn't harvest. That's not hunting. That if you're just out there to harvest, we have said it over and over again, that's killing. Hunting, if you, (laughs) hunting is the process of getting there and getting there isn't, doesn't necessarily happen even in a season. So um, hunting is a whole lot bigger than just the harvest. Well, and that's why we prep, you know, we, if we knew we were going to get a draw or something, especially mm-hmm. in the mountainous areas, I mean, you're doing a lot of training and prepping and doing a lot of uh, fun thing. And that's just leading you up to the adventure anyway. Right. Uh, of course, I know, I know a lot of people spend a lot of money, and of course, they're, they're a little disappointed, but mm-hmm. I've also been with guys that have spent, you know, $200,000 for a hunt and they didn't harvest something. And then they, they say, I had a great time. Right. So, I mean, it's all relative, but it, you know, you just got to take what you're, you're doing and, and just really enjoy the moment. Right. I mean, I'm telling you, I, I've, I've hunted a lot, a lot of different places in different countries and everything else, but, um, just staying at home sometimes is the most spectacular thing. So it's true. It's very true. Hey, I want to switch gears on us for just a quick second because we, we have talked about this before you and I, and it's something that you hold very passionately in your business, but as well personally. Um, and it, it's integrity and authenticity. And as we have said, and as you say a lot, being a real hunter and, I, I want to touch on it because you are a businessman. You are a manufacturer for um, the hunters in our community um, of things that we can use and, and bring out the best in our hunting experience. But with that comes a lot of responsibility on how it's represented and on how you want it represented. Um, and you have made choices along the way that I hold high and I respect you for. And I want to shout that out because finding real hunters to represent doesn't necessarily always get you the followers or the the numbers or the that that other companies have. And so uh, I want to hear how you made that decision to really be very precise and and sure about who you choose to represent your company you know that's it's uh, that's actually i love that question because when i was um getting ready to launch grizzly ears we didn't launch it until january 8th at the sci show uh, 2019 mm-hmm. and so right before there i was doing um i sent out mass emails to a ton of hunting pros and tactical shooters and, and just, I, I wanted to do some time on the, the video and, and chat on the phone and to see if they were interested. Well, it was interesting is because when I sent the emails out and told them what I was doing, there wasn't one person that didn't 
want to actually talk to me. So I had anywhere across the board from Shockey to you name it, mm-hmm. uh, to all the female hunters and to the, the, the men out there and ju- uh, junior hunters. And so I told my wife, I said, dear, I'm going to find people that are a lot like me. And, and that is they're not pretentious in any way. Mm-hmm. They're actually the kind of people that you want to be around. They're mm-hmm. honest. And we I use that word real. You and I talked about that. Yeah. And, and so as I went through the process and the first one that just felt like I was just talking to my sister and I knew that she was everything you see on television. She was actually that in real life. And that was Jana Waller, Skullbound TV. And I thought, man, I definitely, there's one that needs to be on the board with me. And so Janet and I hit it off really well. And of course, Skullbound TV has been with us. And then <clears throat> my wife says, man, you've got more girls than you do guys at this stage. I said, <laughs> it seems like the women are just more real than the guys. I mean, mm. guys kind of get a little full of themselves sometimes, including myself. Uh, so as we work the process, and of course, um, some of you guys may know that I have Mark Oz Geis. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the Benghazi hero, uh, one of the heroes out there. You know, of course, he lost two of his buddies. Um, and I interviewed a couple others off of that group. And and Oz was just the guy that was, once again, it felt like I was just talking to my brother and somebody that, that would just do anything to to be kind to others, but open and honest if you ask them a question. And so he, he, he fit really well into the program. And then Kylie is a, a, a one of our junior hunters. And she, I think she's seven-time grand champion turkey hunter. So she, is, she has slayed a lot of different turkeys throughout the United States. And so Kylie is our junior one. But we have so many people like you, Amy, to talk, we talk about ambassadors and um, and as we keep going, more people keep asking us, you know, you know, I'd love to be one of those people that uh, it's part of the grizzly year family. We call it family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we started that in January and now we just, we have so many family members on the grizzly year family. And of course we have our pros and we have our ambassadors and, but I don't have anybody that works with us or anybody ask us questions that realizes, you know, um, we're pretty honest and upfront. And if we can reach out and help others and give back, um, that's another thing being real is we talk about giving back. And so, um, we give to wishes for warriors, mm-hmm. uh, Jan and all them do some hunts and everything else for the veterans. I did a hunt with, uh, Jed Larson, a three truffle hunts last year where the guy was a blind, guy hunting elk that was interesting that's amazing yeah so we do some good stuff like that and that that word real is is big to me just like you and I had chatted before yeah and you know even before I knew about grizzly ears I had had on on my focus even before I started the podcast the the women that stood out to me uh the women who um like you said you would want to surround yourself with because there aren't very many women in hunting that are that are close to me. And so starting out as a hunter, maybe even a little bit later in life, finding women in social media who you can find encouragement from, um, find inspiration from, but also see the real life from it's hard to find. And so even before I knew about grizzly ears, Jana was one of those top women who stood out to me. And then I met Kylie at NWTF and she and I sat for a while talking and she talked with my daughter and, and really inspired and encouraged her in the situation she was going through with, uh, with kids making fun of her bringing wild game to school for food and that kind of thing. And I saw her heart and then I I heard her stories about Jana and how Jana was a huge inspiration to her. And it just it. So even before I knew about Grizzly Ears, all of these people that you have listed in your family, the Grizzly Ears family, these were a lot of the people that were on my list of people to to keep tabs on, to watch, to learn from, to um 
to get encouragement from. And so I think that spoke a lot to me when I started looking into grizzly ears and and watching you guys was I think it was the people that you had on your team that that made a difference in my thoughts about grizzly ears. And it doesn't mean that everybody's perfect, right? That's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for how people respond to situations, um, what they put out there, how honest they are, how transparent they are. And that's like you and I have talked. It's not about airing dirty laundry. It's not about airing um, the personal stuff all the time. It's it's about how honest are you about the situations that you're put in, whether you're hunting or you're shooting or you whatever you're doing. It's you can tell quickly uh, whether you're in a conversation or whether you are emailing or um, or just watching them on on social media. You can tell pretty quickly those who are real and those who aren't. And it's it's pretty refreshing to see those people on your team. And uh, actually, it was funny because I'm not going to say names, but um, my wife could see some of them that I was chatting with all the time. And and we come back in the room and she would say, you're not going to pick that person. I know that. (laughs) Why is that? They go, they're just they're just not your type. Mm -hmm. They're nice people, but they're just not your type. And and I, I, I don't. I don't want to single anybody out. That was, that was just part of how we formed our right. team professionals, but we want everybody, mm-hmm. everybody part of Grizzly or family, because um, the one thing we want is we want to spring to the fact that one, I want to be able to make sure that especially the younger generation that, that we're doing something that you, you, you need to start now when it comes to protecting your hearing. Yes, that you is do. so important. Yes. Uh, but the other thing is, I also put it together so they can enjoy it too. I mean, mm-hmm. shoot, I want you to I want you to stream your, your movies, or if you're traveling on planes, or uh, my grandsons are funny because uh, when we're traveling, going hunting, I, I look over and then they're they're watching a movie or, or jamming to music or whatever, and and of course they can hear the text coming in, but. Uh, they're, they're tuned out of me at that point, which is fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, but, it's versatile. Uh, it's versatile and you're able to, instead of buying four or five different products, you have one that works. And I think that that's, it's bringing things back to, we're consumers in this world and I would rather be a smart consumer. Um, and so... That's why yeah, it and works. We, and, we, and we definitely, uh, we were ready to launch a new product, but just with this COVID-19, it, it put my manufacturers way behind right after the Western Hunt Expo because we were we were showing the introduction of it and the launch date. It was supposed to be, you know, out in May. And mm-hmm. uh, so we're, we're a little behind on that, but we're still excited about that product too, which is it's going to complement what we have, but just the only difference is now, it's going to allow people to communicate up to a couple miles um, and they don't have to take their finger off the trigger or, or move around. They can be glassing and, and chatting with you the whole time because everything is going to be Bluetooth um, anywhere from activating your walkie talkie to your headset. So we do have some really fun stuff, but the most important thing, like you said, though, um, Grizzly ears, we consider it a family. Mm-hmm. And so if we can help, we will. Um, I get people all the time asking me for, you know, can you do this? Can you do that? We can only do so many things, but um, I I learned a long time ago, if you chase money, then you'll never be happy. Oh, that is true. If you chase what you love Mm -hmm. and just stay passionate about it, everything else follows in. So, you know, with COVID-19, of course, yeah, it's, it's, it's been an impact uh, on us and the consumers and everything else. But first thing I told my wife was, I said, dear, I said, think about it. There's over 36, 38 million people that are unemployed right now. Mm-hmm. I said, so you have to understand how these people, they're not sure what, what you know, be able to put food on the table next week. So uh, that's that's the most important thing right there. Right. And of course, we have people that we deal with all the time. And of course, special events that we donate or sponsor. So if we can give back, we'll do it. Yeah. Um, of course, we ran a really good special during the COVID-19. Yes, you did. 
and <laughs> fortunately and unfortunately, I guess we, we sold so many of them that we were running out of inventory. <laughs> and so I had to come to an end anyway, because we were going to end it in April. Uh, and it really was about, you know, giving those people an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it was, you know, we loved it. Uh, but it was kind of funny. We getting the text going, Hey, uh, we need to lighten up on the inventory here because manufacturing is a little slow with mm-hmm. Asian stuff. So. Yeah. Well, we, I've, I've heard it over and over. And I think that that's why we're so careful, um, with our ears as a family, what you lose, you can't get back. Right. It's there's it is all about, especially if you have a family, if you're raising kids and you're raising them in the hunting community and the shooting community, the tact, whatever you're doing, if it's involving gunfire at all, it is a responsibility that you have to your kids to teach them early that what they have now is only going to deteriorate over time and whatever you can do to maintain the health of their ears, you should be doing no matter what. Well, here, here's what's interesting is when, when I designed the product, I was obviously focused on the hunting and shooting world, but it has morphed into so many other things. I have guys that professionally cut trees down, guys that do construction. I have dentists, believe it or not, that drill teeth and stuff like that. The high pitch is actually having an effect on their mm-hmm. hearing. So the assistants are wearing the the dentists are wearing them. So when they stop drilling, of course, it goes back to where they can hear the the conversations. Yeah. So they'll talk to the patient. Um, I actually said that last year at one of our archery shows uh, about a dentist that posted something, and it was two people standing to the right of me, kind of looking what what, what product we had, and they were dental uh, assistants, and mm-hmm. they said, "I know exactly what you're talking about." So they actually bought them. So we have everybody that that we're morphing. And I tell people all the time, most people don't realize the little things. And so I have a, everybody that's been to our shows knows Thor. Thor is yes. the, he's the mascot for grizzly ears, but Thor is a waterfowl hunter, uh, retrieving dog, uh, upland. He does a lot of upland stuff, he does shed hunting. So we travel across the United States, so some shed hunting. And then of course he's my diabetic alert dog. Um, so he alerts me during the shows and everything else. If I'm getting low, but um, when I train and work with him, believe it or not, when I have my ears and I'm blowing the whistle, mm-hmm. it actually presses that sound. Most people don't even think that sound, that, that little bit right there actually affects your hearing. And of course, anybody that launches those canisters, those are the loudest things in the world. Of course, uh, I always tell people move away from your dog when you do a launcher at least six to 10 feet, because if it's hurting your hearing, oh, I mean, yeah. it, those things are loud. You will do the same thing to your dog. And most people think dogs are invincible. No, they're just like us. You know, they get cold, they get hot, they, you know, overheat and uh, their hearing goes bad too. So when I train and work with them, I have my grizzly ears on, but uh, I tell people it's the little things that you don't even know what affects your hearing. Racking your gun, actually, if you rack a handgun real quick. Suppresses it every time. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And I tell people, you didn't even think that was loud enough, did you? I go, well, it was 85 dB. So if it's 85 dB, that's the point that you want to be the safety mark. Anything above that actually starts affecting us, Yeah, which most people don't understand. We here, being here near Nashville, I was introduced to um, watching out for your ears through music producers that we had as neighbors um, and they never went to a concert without earplugs ever. And it's because their ears are their job, right? So we have known even before I got into hunting, I knew the importance of protecting your ears. And like you said, it can be, it can be a dental, um, doctor or assistant or whoever it can go from, multiple different facets all the way around. And so it's pretty cool that it's that versatile that people can use it. Um, not just in the hunting community. I actually wear them in some of the football games, you know, in the South, oh, um, yeah. football games are pretty big. So if you go to university of Tennessee game, you got over 105,000 people. Yep. Uh, when they're screaming, I'm telling you what, that is, it's so, it's so bad on what our ears, it? but I, I'll wear them. Is it Mississippi State that have the cowbells? Um, oh, 
There's Those a, are the worst. No, no offense, Mississippi State people. It, but being in that stadium with those cowbells, that it is crazy how loud it is. Well, you know, we all love it. Um, <laughs> I'm like everybody else when I was young. I, you know, oh, sure, sure, sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's just to be safe. It I is. mean, I always tell people, just have it in there. If it doesn't go off, it's great. But you just, for that moment, if you do have to fire or you do something that's going to be loud. Uh, I cut a tree down last week. Uh, I was jamming to the music. And then once I... Uh, got to the point I had to use the chainsaw really close. I just switched over to amplification mm-hmm. to suppress the sound. And um, I think we even posted something. I can't even remember, but, um, but yeah, I use it for everything. And I, I want everybody to understand that too. I don't use it just for the hunting and no. shooting side of the world. I use it for everything. And of course I love music probably as much as anyone else does. And of course, you know, I come from the old school, uh, classic rock, and then of course some real country, and I, I use that word "real country" because <laughs> there's a difference. Uh, I'm not a fan of the pop country. <laughs> yep. Yeah, a big difference. Yeah. And so my wife goes, "I like the pop country." I said, "Yeah, you would, because you never like real country." So. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's there are a lot of different ways that you can use it, and um, I I love all the sizes that you have uh, because I have little kid ears and so being able to take a size all the way down to a small um you can really perfect how it fits your ear yeah and you know what we have gosh man most of the women it it leans towards the extra small Mm -hmm. right yep Uh, for the earplug size now i've had people believe it or not i mean they have the smallest ears and so you know sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't mm-hmm. but um one of my grandsons he, he told somebody to show he goes they go you got really little ears and so how do you get them in there because he's wearing them all the time he says i i actually wet the the foam on it and it slips in and i'm, I'm good and i thought well i never even told anybody that because you know i guess if you wanted to you could put some kind of you know vaseline or something if somebody couldn't get them in but we that percentage is so low. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we have Michelle, uh, who's a three gun pro, um, and she has really small ears, but she, she got them in and she used them all the time. And that market, that, that side of the tactical world for women is just taken off. And so we're really excited about that. Um, that, that makes us happy. That's exciting. Well, Mark, I appreciate your time today and, I love hearing about it, but I also, and I cho- I want to step back to that, to what really means a lot to me is, um, is your discussion on real hunters. And it, it brings a level of, I mean, I've said respect, but it, I have a level of, and I want to be careful how I say this, right? I don't, I respect people for the choices that they make, even though they might not be my choices, right? That's their choice. And as long as you stand by it, that's your choice. But there's a there's a level that I try to keep myself at um, with the choices that I've made. And I, I respect the fact that a lot of the people that you have worked with and that work with you, like it goes both ways, um, that it's people that I can relate to. Um, and, and that's because it's real. I can, and I, I appreciate that. I appreciate the authenticity of it. And, um, and so I appreciate you being that way. It, sometimes it can come across and I'm not saying this about you. I'm saying it about everybody when you're real and when you're truthful and honest and straightforward like that, it can sometimes come across as being rough around the edges. Right. Um, (laughs) Yes. But I'm one of those straightforward people that I would rather somebody come straight at me and say, Hey, this bugged me or this um, let's talk about this. Like I would rather be straightforward about it than beat about around the bush or, or have, um, you know, questions that aren't answered or reputations that are um, 
assumed versus confirmed. And so I I applaud you for that and your team for that and your wife for it, because it seems like y'all are very um, much so a team and it's pretty awesome. So thank you. Well, thank you. I mean, that, that's so true. I mean, is what you see is what you get with us. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm the same person Monday through Sunday. I don't yeah. ever change. And the, the team that we have, and of course, the family members that join the Grizzly Ears by buying our product, uh, we want them to feel the same way because that's what it's all about. Oh, and, definitely. Uh, if we can't enjoy ourselves, and, then we're, we're missing out on something. It's true. Well, thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. Tell everybody yes. how they can follow you and how they can oh, find your just, product. Uh, yeah, and actually, it's just grizzly hyphen ears e-a-r-s dot com mm-hmm. that's our website but we're on instagram just grizzly ears all one word and then twitter it's grizzly underscore ears um and we do we we, we just want organic followers and you've probably heard that word a thousand times yes but, uh, we we don't pay anybody we don't want to try to get these these big numbers up on our followers. Mm -hmm. We want people that really want to follow us and we want to be able to communicate and get back to you when we see you at shows or wherever we're at Mm -hmm. and reach out to our team, our pros, our ambassadors, everything. And you'll find out that they're, they're a family. And then once you join the family, everybody's part of the family. Right. Well, thank you. And, uh, and I appreciate it. Thank you all for listening in to another episode of Her Wild Outdoors. And Mark, thank you again for your time. And go follow him, Twitter, Instagram. Go online, uh, grizzlyears.com with a hyphen in the middle. Go check out his product. It is pretty stinking amazing.